to Pod Save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. Welcome back to Pod Save Africa. I can't dare from all the parts of the African continent. We welcome you here. It's a great pleasure of sitting down with this wonderful gentleman here, Basil Abia, and we're going to be discussing Nigeria, specifically Nigeria's border closure and how that's currently affecting its citizens and changing the local landscape in that region. So, Basil, how about you introduce yourself quickly to the listeners and we can hop right into the conversation. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Basil Anthony Abia, and I'll be speaking basically on the recent border closure and its economic implications to Nigeria. And if we still have time, we might also dive into the uh, Nigerian civil war between oh. Nigeria and Biafra as oh. well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, thank you listeners, for coming in to listen to us today. So I guess let's start with like the beginning, right? So the current president of Nigeria, uh, President Buhari, has generally been very protectionist in nature. There's no other... I would say there's no other character you can actively define his presidency with. Like, definitely, as far as a strategy, for the most part, they always take the protectionist route. Would you say that's the case? And how does that feed into what's happening now? Yeah, I, I think I think President Barrios has largely been uh, very protectionist when it comes to his economic policies, his agricultural policies as well. It's kind of like he wants to relieve. Really 1983 to 1985 again yes, you know literally doing repeating Sorry. repeating those same things over and over again and it's it's not working it's literally just not working uh for instance in terms of agriculture while i give them credit for for increasing uh the monies uh to dispense for macro credit and micro credit mm-hmm. to farmers is it, the system just doesn't work because First and foremost, it's still the Nigerian situation. Who are the ones that actually uh, benefit from the macro and micro credit for for agricultural activities? It's 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 still the same people, the, the ones that have affinity to government, the ones that uh, are acolytes to present public office holders, and mm. the the lucky ones who just you know give it a shot and go to the offices here in Abuja and apply and luckily get called. But then, what's the what's the um, uh, 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 what happens when they get the money? Who follows them up, and, and how is the structure of, of of their their agricultural activity? You know, are you doing it in such a business way, or it's just you know, come get this money, and whatever happens, we don't care. As far <laughs> as we know, that we have spent billions and billions of naira. It's spotted. Uh, food productivity across board. Food pro- food productivity across board hasn't really, really improved, to be honest. Um, I would say for main staples like rice, it's been increasing, but it's still not sufficient. We have a 3 million 
uh, deficit, 3 million metric tons deficit in rice production, for instance. So, uh, so about what? Nigeria is only meeting like 65% of its local. Yes. Yes. Our local demand for rice is at 7 million metric tons every year. And okay. we can only produce 4 million metric tons. And uh, let's not even talk about quality as well. Yeah, you know, sure. uh, when, yeah, as, 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 as political scientists, also you have to look at nuances. What's the nuance in this conversation? There's, there's a political clout that rice could, uh, has in Nigeria. It's almost like, I don't know which other food in Africa that has as much political clout as rice that really determines how things flow. But for rice, it's a political, there's a political clout behind it because people have this supposed uh, reverence for it. I don't know how it happened, but man, people have so much reverence for, for rice as a commodity. So imagine if there is a shortage in supply. Imagine what happens. That's important, yeah. You, you know? So all this added together, it, it, it just tells you everything that you need to know about the president's agricultural policy, for instance, and, and it gives you a sense of why food inflation is spiking at the rate that it is. You know, uh, for instance, those that already produce rice hold their prices intentionally because mm -hmm. now they know that they are not going to face competition from the imported uh, yeah. you know, rice commodity. And, and it's not only rice, there's lots of food, food commodities also that have this uh, the issue, you know, with uh spiking prices and the rest uh at the end of the day the conversation would be about how buhari's protectionist uh, policies has actually adversely affected the, the 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 economy and um i don't know man i really don't know he got a new economic uh uh support team i think that was like Five six months sure. ago, have they put out any reports, anything of that sort? I, I heard it was. Just uh, I think the only thing they've been able to influence is the VAT, the value-added tax rate increase. Mm. But that I'm not sure what is actually happening. To be honest, and, uh, I'm saying this being a very keen observer of the government. Uh, apart from the VAT increase, there's nothing. There's nothing much that's happened. So. Yeah, for, for, for people who aren't really conversing with Nigerian politics, for, for non-Nigerian listeners and non-African listeners who want to get an understanding, Nigeria is so confusing for the average political uh, pundit or, you know, political observer yeah. uh, in the sense that you, unlike when you're studying American politics or German politics or British politics, you can't really put this, you can't really put people on the political spectrum in Nigeria into sections. You can't say this one is left or oh, this oh, one is right oh, or this one is center left, you know? You it's can't really fluid. do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because today, the person who is largely conservative, you know, will espouse some liberal, very, very liberal uh, principles, maybe economically or in one point. And then the other day, the, another day, the person who is largely liberal well, we're largely, we're largely conservative society. So, but when it comes to economy, I think uh, I can say that at some point we espouse some liberal principles, like like wealth redistribution, for instance. And um, yeah, so you can't really point out. You just say if for certain policies and certain certain um, um, sections of decision making in Nigeria, we kind of go left or right or 
center, you know, yeah. but you just can't put that out. So it's kind of confusing. But this is the general, this is the general view. If you want to understand Nigeria, then it's important to look at. Yeah. Um, Nobody has any permanent alliances. That's there. Yes, yes. You know, just look at it as a machination to who gets <laughs> access to, you know, the big cake, the national yeah. cake, the resources. It's so just a country living off resource rent. Mm -hmm. It's just yep. a country living off resource rent. So they will do anything to be able to have access to that. So that's why today you see someone who's in the uh, in PDP, and then the next week maybe he loses yeah, an election. Yeah, he moves to APCs. Yep. That's so how it is. How much? Value? How do you access? Yeah, how do you get access to resource rent? Uh, and basically, because there's no other form of productivity in Nigeria. Yeah. We live off resource rent, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I think for a, a non-Nigerian who wants to understand Nigeria, look at it from that picture. And if you can look at it from that picture, I think you'd, you'd do pretty much well as a Nigerian analyst to say. Yeah, so that's so, it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's reel back to what actually happened. That's, that's I would say, spurred this conversation. Yeah. Um, this was, by the way, um, listeners, uh, my uh, guest today has written a phenomenal article on the border closure and that is partly a lot of what we will be discuss, discussing um he writes and works with the center for the study of the economy of africa um their website is csea at csea.africa.org did i get that right yeah I I got that right. Yeah, yeah you got that right that was awesome. that was awesome, awesome. Yeah. so um check it out check out the article it's very very it's an easy read read it's broken down into into the context and everything in a wonderful manner that's very very easy to understand but let me take let's let's take them back to the beginning Basil. um yeah August 2019 um, this was last year uh, Nigeria closed its land borders to uh five four of its bordering nations and Togo because Togo I don't believe directly borders Nigeria it was yeah, Nigeria. yeah but they yeah, they kind of close enough they kind of yeah they kind of also uh puts out according to let me use the uh, the current government's language. They kind of sabotage Nigeria's <laughs> economy, supposedly. So they so, they too they too were affected. They too. So we have Niger, Cameroon, Chad, Benin, and Togo. Um, those yeah. five countries. We close our land borders to them, right? So that I mean yeah. that's effectively closing your land land borders period because those are the only places things can come in from. Um, the reason the government stated was to curb smuggling of food commodities across the borders. Like the argument you just made, that's the arguments that they are sabotaging our, our food economy internally, um, despite the fact that we just mentioned that we don't produce enough food for us, right? So um, the biggest results uh, that had, that you, your article noted has come out of this is that from on a month-to-month -month basis, uh, food inflation has been rising by roughly 1.3%. So it was 1.33% from on a month to literally every month, food is getting that much more expensive. Uh, yes, yes. So, yes, now, like, w so, you know, Buhari, we understand his context and how he thinks about the world in, in terms of the 1980s. Is there any reason why he thought this was a good idea? Like, did, was there somebody, somebody that was like, hey, this is, we should do this, and, and you know, someone, like, is it, what was the logic behind this, if you, if, if you, uh, um, well, there, 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 there are a few um, um, rumors, but I don't like to work with rumors especially okay. when it comes to the type of age that we are in, we're in a post-truth post, post, uh, era right now. Yep, I so I'd, I'd like to work with government pronunciations first and foremost. 
uh, I mean, which is there and is there for everyone to see. The government cited that uh, Nigeria's national productivity was being adversely affected by the incessant smuggling of, uh, of uh, food commodity from our neighboring states, particularly Benin Republic. And uh, yeah, so with that in mind, um, also stating that we had the core of the security issues we were having, especially with trans-border trans, uh, trans crime in the far north, was because of our, how open our borders were, so they decided to close it down. So those were the two reasons that were made from government pronunciations. And firstly, I think it would be President Buhari who made that pronounce, pronouncement, mm -hmm. and then also followed by the Minister of Information and Culture, um, Chief Lai Mohammed. So yeah, I would like to work with that uh, as a reason. And then for me, my own personal inference was that the, there is sort of a lobby, lobbyist circle around that. There are a few, and if you've noticed Nigeria's economy, you would notice there's been a, a flurry of, 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 of um, indigenous investment in, um, in big agro. You know, we know of big agro in the United States of America. You know, we know of those big companies. Uh, we know of big agro in the UK. We really, we, yeah, we really don't have anything of sorts of big agro in, in Nigeria. And for all of a sudden, in the last three years, we have seen Dangote flowing in. We have seen the likes of Sterling Rice. We have seen um, a very popular auto um, dealer, um, Koskaris. His name is uh, Cosmas Maduka, he's a very wealthy guy. He deals in Ford cars. I think the Ford guys love him so much. He's their biggest uh, marketer uh, in Africa, I think. Yeah, so he's moved from, well, he's still into auto uh, retail, but he's moved into a big agro right now. Right. And, I, and I think that um, they were able to find their way into the, 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 the halls, of oh, Asso Rock and influence policy to close down the borders so they can have access. But unfortunately, it hasn't really worked for them because they cannot meet the local demand. It's, it's nearly impossible to meet the local demand overnight. But maybe it has to. Yeah. I was saying that maybe that's not the objective. I, I, you could, one could infer that theirs is just to make money regardless. Yes, and, yes, and yes, yes. And uh, this has happened before, for example, with cement, and you, you mentioned that. Uh, yes, yes, it, ha it has happened before. That's why I'm making that inference that it's an inference, it's a caveat for listeners, this is an inference, mm -hmm. but looking at, um, uh, you know, preceding or the past um, actions with, with our local economy and, and essential commodities, I am not far-fetched, or it is not, it is not far-fetched to say that uh, the border closure for, for uh, policy was influenced by a few big guys moving into big agro. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Now, do you think, do you think, for example, with cements now, I don't know what the statistics are with us meeting our internal demand. What I do know is that Nigerian cement is still fairly expensive um, for yeah. a country that produces it in-house. Yes, uh, Nigeria's, Nigeria's economy is beats reason. It's funny. And I'll say this why we have even surpassed our production levels for cement has surpassed meeting local demand. We can meet 
local mm-hmm. demand comfortably, comfortably. Mm-hmm. We now even export our cement. Right. That's how big the cement industry is in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. But somehow, somewhere, the prices just don't want to go down. Yep, <laughs> the, the economics just, are working. <laughs> the, the economics is behind this. By bread, demand, but, but the price is not going down. The prices just don't want to go down. And I think to an, to an extent is because there is a monopoly. And that sort of monopoly is what um, Aliko Dangote thrives on. You yeah. know, he's building such, he's, he's literally controls 80% of the Nigerian, or I would say almost 80% of the Nigerian cement industry. Yeah. And he's blocked everywhere the French guys, Lapage, want to expand around, around the country. And there's still a lot of potential for mass production of cement. My home state has a lot of you know, commercial uh, quantities of untapped limestone. Mm. But no one has moved there yet. And Adamant State is really, really big, one of the bigger states in terms of landmarks. So imagine you have half of that for reach in limestone and it hasn't been tapped yet. Yeah, so, so Nigeria has an incredible potential when it comes to that. But somehow, somewhere, the economics fails right. to, to, to meet reason when, when the prices of cement is incredibly high. And by that, it drives the price of construction yeah. much more higher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's why we have the housing crisis in, in Vegas, yes, yeah. I agree. You, you've you've uh, captured one as a construction guy. I feel like you've captured one. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. And why absolutely. I personally, just personally, just me, I don't particularly like Mr. Dangote or all the hype. <laughs> well, 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 we as Arsenal fans want him to do one thing, just one thing. Just one thing. <laughs> I'm not even sure I want him to do it. So. Uh, well, I mean, I knowing the kind of guy he is, uh-huh. you know he's going to spend a lot of money and we need that for the Arsenal. That that is true. That is that's. <laughs> I, I don't even want to be in a position where I have to pretend to like. So. Yeah, even even me too. Right now, I'm at the crossroads because I really do not like the guy. I'm not like. I'm not that I don't like him personally, but I don't like the, the politics thing. he plays and the the things he does. You know, right. and and I don't blame yeah. him for it. I think somebody with his leverage would do the same. If you can get no, 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 no. you you can't blame him for it. Yeah, I can't believe if you can a get billionaire, it. A billionaire will always be a billionaire. A billionaire especially, will make money. Mm-hmm. Especially in a dysfunctional society like ours. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not upset about that part. I'm more yeah. just disappointed in, our, in the yeah. uh, people like that. So, yeah. um, kind of looking a little bit into of this story. Um, do yeah. you think that there's potential for our food future to look like our cement future looks like? Where our food is way more expensive and it's expensive to get food in Nigeria. So that investment stays perfect. And it feels like a lot of money off of it, even when we start to meet demand. Yes. Um, well, for your question, I do not think it's possible in the next 10 years. Apologies, I think it's getting a little bit noisier. Um, let me try and find this out a bit. Yeah, yeah it's way noisier. So, so let me just find a way out and then I can answer that. Okay, I'm out now. Okay. Um, sorry for listeners, it gets a bit noisy. It gets a bit noisy. So, yeah. Can, can you repeat the question again? No, so I was saying that, do you think that our food future looks kind of like our cement reality is right now, where food is super expensive for Nigerians, than, food is about more expensive for Nigerians than it is look, uh, in, in other countries around us, 
and then and then some people just have a monopoly on food and then the rest of us the rest of us are apologies apologies i have to yeah. uh, if fiance was attempting to call me i mean no problem man. What, uh, congrats on that congrats on that as well <laughs> thank you very much sir thank you yes very much, sir. yeah um, so yeah um for that um well it's hard to pinpoint to be honest Mm-hmm. But if 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 um, big agro, as I said, if big agro gets in and does mm-hmm. a few things, which I think they have a potential to do, because they have lots of money, and you yeah. know how it is when you have lots of money, mm-hmm. just throw it, throw at it. Even if the economics doesn't make sense, just throw at it. Mm-hmm. I think that we're going to reach that level in the next. Not I won't say next ten years, but you know you never you never can tell. But at one point in time, if Nigeria continues to be the system where there are no consequences, mm-hmm. uh, continues to be a system where it's just a few rich guys taking control of everything, you know, then yes, we're going to have a situation where food is incredibly expensive for everyone. When I mean everyone, I mean everyone up to the middle class. Literally, everyone up to the middle class will find getting food in Nigeria very very hard because it's, it's going to be very expensive but that is that is maybe in the next 15 years next five to ten years um i don't see that happening i mean we, we have a very high food inflation rate one of the highest in africa don't get me wrong yeah but what is somehow, that now 13 14 percent almost 14.7 percent actually oh. as of yesterday the, the the new nbs report right for those who are not conversant with nigeria the nbs stands for the national bureau of statistics for Nigeria, and they're in charge of our stats, basically. Yeah. So they released a new report, a CPI report, Consumer Price Index, for December, basically. And uh, we had inflation across all board move up to 11.58%. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some others, they would say 12%. Well, and then they had for food inflation, especially in the CPI report, it was... 14.7%, one of the highest. Now, I'm going to put in a bit of context. Uh, when Nigeria hit its recession, we had inflation at just, I think, about 15%. Uh, and then towards, towards the end of, um, of the um, recession, it was, I think, about 21% or 20%. So look at it, look at the numbers, then it, it can tell you that, look, yeah. we're really getting to a point where we might hit another recession very soon very soon so that's just from looking at the numbers actually and this time the the administration will have no one to blame but themselves because it'd be self-inflicted ones uh, if 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 we don't find a way to um expand our non-oil revenue if we don't find a way to expand our national tax base especially Uh We don't find a way to get money to fund a budget apart from borrowing, then we're going to be in big trouble. Because when the IMF and the World Bank calls, they're going to ask for a lot of restructuring, and it will mean a lot of things will have to stop. Uh And when that, when lots of things stop within the economy, cash we become cash strapped, and everybody gets hit. Every single body gets hit. And that could be one of the worst things Nigeria has experienced in a long time. I don't pay for that, but you can't you can't stop the laws of economy, yeah. of economics. You just can't stop it. You know, you can only um, 
make it tarry a bit, but you can't stop it when it wants heat. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. So, so one of the things you note in your article was that that our our consumption habits as a nation have become, have been have been shaped in a way that it's now largely import dependent. Even even yes. food from its many neighbors. Do you think that's exclusively just because we don't produce enough? Has it been our population growth has been rapid over the past fifty years? What do you think has caused that generally? I, I think again it comes to the rule of economics again. Um, we don't produce enough to meet local demand. Hence, uh, hence, of course, the, um, the, um, the, 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 the interest of people to buy food that is readily available through you know, uh, food imports, of course. Uh, yeah. Because the food imports will have to, you know, kind of like just try and get into that vacuum created by poor local production. Another thing as well, the cost of production or the cost of local production for literally every food commodity is incredibly high. Yeah. And so what does that what what does that do? It yeah. makes it makes the prices of locally produced food commodities yeah, quite high. Yeah. And then when you got food imports from neighboring Benin and Niger and Cameroon incredibly cheap then you're going to develop an appetite for foreign-made goods. You're going to ha develop uh, uh, an appetite for foreign, uh, you know, foreign-grown yeah. rice. Yeah. You're going to do that for... Importation, it's still cheaper than what we Yeah, have. it's still far too cheaper. It's way too cheaper. I mean, imagine we... I can literally, in my home state, Adam State, I can take you to border villages where you can purchase a bag of rice for 14,000 naira. But there are there are there are big stores in Lagos where the cheapest bag of rice you can get is twenty nine thousand or twenty eight thousand. Now look at that, look at the disparity in that. Tell me why the average Nigerian who just moves from one plate to the next plate, you know, every single job that he does or petty job he does, the little hundreds of naira that he makes is to go for the next plate of rice. Tell me why he's going to go for the Nigerian made one. Yeah. I don't, you know, you know, economics always defies patriotism. So, yeah. yes, that's why we have, we, we have an inkling for, for uh, uh, foreign, for foreign goods. And, and it's not going to stop anytime soon until we are able to meet, first and foremost, until we are able to meet local, local demand and until those, uh, uh, those produce are quite cheap to access. So, so now before I, before I go into a kind of, um, you know, some of the, your suggestions on, on the solutions for this. I think a good question to ask is, you know, given their objective, what they've stated since August 2019, is there yes. any evidence to suggest that the border closure has actually uh, mitigated smuggling significantly or is, is, just, is that actually working? Let's say their base objective. Has that actually happened? Uh, I would say, I'd say it's, it's harder now to smuggle. Mm -hmm. uh, through our western borders. Okay. But it's, there's literally no difference in the north. And you know, our largest uh, borders are, you know, on the northern fringes with Niger and Chad. So, so it, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. It, there's, there's no difference in the north. But yeah. the southwest, it's quite harder. Even okay. though you can, still, you can still smuggle. But it means, what, what, let, me, let me explain this. Uh, situation a little bit to non-Nigerian listeners. Mm -hmm. 
we do not have we do not have man borders. We just have borders that can be penetrated. You can yeah. easily go in and come out. It's so easy. Yeah, you can walk in and walk out. Yeah. And it's quite dangerous, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But you can walk in and walk out. There's some parts where you're gonna get apprehended. Mm-hmm. But you can you can escape apprehension if um you can escape from the grip of the immigration officers or the custom officers if you speak their language. And what's their language? Bribes. Bribes, money. That's how dysfunctional our institutions are. So it's quite easy. Now, let me explain the economics of food smuggling on our borders. Say I, I am a rice, um, rice importer. I go to Benet, and obviously Benet doesn't produce rice. They import rice. So what they do is, as I stated in the article, Benin and Togo and the rest of the uh, bordering countries postured their economies to be entrepreneur states to Nigeria. Obviously, Nigeria has a very large consumption market. Imagine having 180 million people okay. as your neighbors. Mm-hmm. That's a big market to exploit, you know? And they were able to exploit that by posturing themselves as entrepreneur markets, entrepreneur states, where they can import things from other countries and then export those imports. So basically you're just re Nigeria is re-importing another country's okay, imports. imports. Right. So as opposed, In, as opposed yeah. to importing directly and making it cheap. Yes, as opposed to importing directly, we're importing again from Bene or Togo's imports. You know, I don't know how why that happened and how that happened, but it's a, that's the case. That's the status right. quo right now. Yeah. And so imagine, for instance, I'm going to go to hypotheticals now. Imagine I'm a food uh, rice importer and I import 100 bags every day of rice from Thailand through Benin Republic, you know. And at, the, the, at that rate, I'm importing at 11,000 naira per bag. Mm-hmm. For every bag, the customs, and this is not me using PSA, this is, this is a proven fact. Ask anyone who has done business around Semi, they'll tell you. From a thousand naira on the back, some charge 1,500 naira on the back. Now, with the um, implementation of the uh, closure, I think it's very high, as high as 3,000 naira per bag now. You bribe the custom officers and the police. A thousand naira back, uh, that was before the implementation of the border closure taxes, on that back. Now, these bribes also affect the price of food when it finally reaches Nigeria. But that's a topic for another day. Uh-huh. It's something that can easily be de- deconstructed. Now you move those bags in to say a border town that is now fully Nigerian territory. Okay? Uh-huh. You're going to have to keep them there for a while to evade, of course, another force again that is by that side. Because you're gonna you, you face you face the Nigerian customs before entering and you're going to face them after entering, okay. and you might you might even face them again because I don't know how we behave. They come around big stores and warehouses in major cities that aren't even close to borders. Uh-huh. That's how the customs function. So imagine paying bribes on a single bag of rice three times. <laughs> you pay before you get in a thousand naira on each bag. You pay again when you arrive at the border town and store for a while a thousand naira on each bag. You pay again in your warehouse. Let's say maybe in Kafangchan or in Abuja. That's 3,000 added 
to 11,000 that you had imported in. Definitely, you're going to also add your own. And that's how we've been that's from 11,000. From 11,000, it becomes 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And these days, because of the implementation, it's spiked up to 29,000 in some parts of Nigeria. So that's the economics of food smuggling in Nigeria. So food smuggling has always happened. But now with the implementation, because it just literally means that the price of bribery or the, the price of bribing to allow your goods to enter is far higher. And that's why the cost of food, you know, has increased. Wow. 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 Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I don't think I ever had an understanding of how it really works on a multiple basis. Yeah, that's that, 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 uh. that's how it works, you know. And you know, the, the the another thing is people you will not get this sort of information from the um the Bloomberg African yeah. editor. Bloomberg Africa is not gonna tell you this. Or New York Times Africa when they're explaining uh -huh. you know, the, the, the economics behind this. So that's why this these platforms are quite quite necessary. So people people can get to listen to perspectives, especially from, from uh, in, in the case of the topic for today for Port, Port Save Africa, uh, Nigeria and its recent border closure policy. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now now on to kind of my I guess despite the difficulty of the of the dis discussion and, and of the of the situation going on, I would say. I oh, by the way, just just to just to interrupt a bit. Oh, apologies for that. The power just went uh, just um, went up. So, yeah, typical Nigeria right now. So we've yes. we've now switched yeah. to the generating set. So it might get a little bit noisier now. That's okay. That's definitely. yeah. But for our non-Nigerian listeners, that that this will give them another bit of the Nigerian experience yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Power does go on top, and it's. Uh, it's not a right, it's not a surprise, it just happens. Um, so yes, so now my, I guess my favorite part of this conversation is, is how do we fix this? Or how does the government achieve both its goal of, you know, having indigenously produced uh, food and meeting its food uh, requirements, demand internally? Um, and, and, so, and, and in your article, you mentioned, you know, land reforms, uh, access to credit, for farmers, for business people, and on, uh, access to electricity and, and, and uh, incentivizing investments. Um, one, um, could you kind of do a deeper dive into what this could look like for the current government? And then two, is the government doing this in any, any are they trying at all to do any of these? Hello? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Excellent, excellent. So uh, I think I mistakenly put uh, muted my uh... muted yourself. That's okay. The the listeners will understand. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, first and foremost, what can be done to actually meet the government's goals of increasing national productivity and having a thriving agricultural sector? Uh -huh. You know, and meeting local food demand as simple as ever it's going back to the basics nigeria has does not even have the basic infrastructure to enable this sort of national productivity that we we have been envisaging for almost 60 years now yeah. power production is at 5000 megawatts 
Yeah. It gets as low as 2,000 megawatts sometimes. In fact, I, I remember two years ago, we were at uh, 1,500 megawatts per electricity. So literally every Nigerian urban area was getting two hours of electricity every day at some point. Now, imagine the backlog that can happen to, uh, say, uh, an industrial um, agriculturist, for instance, or I would say an industrial farmer, for instance, mm -hmm. not having access to that power. These things really do affect national productivity across board. Um, we need to get the basics right. We need to decentralize our power production, uh, get the private uh, sector to be heavily involved, in fact, to be involved in power production or in the entire power sector. Uh, yeah, and just, um, just to give people know, context, I think, so because yeah. when we say megawatts, I think people don't understand what that is. So just to give folks like 2,000 megawatts, which is sometimes what the entire country is sharing, is roughly about what a single small, medium-sized city in America, like Columbus, Ohio, or Indianapolis, Ohio. Yep. Uh, yep. yep. Like, it's not a lot. The state of Ohio alone produces something like, I think it's like 15,000 megawatts. Yeah. And the country, the country, our whole, our whole entire country of 180 billion people are sharing less than a third of that. So just yeah. to give folks context. Yeah. So um, you, we, have to, um, we have to fix the basics. Um, we have to have the farmers have access to microcredit, especially we, we need to move our agricultural processes from subsistence farming to, uh, to an extent, uh, uh, industrial farming. It has to be mechanized. We just have to, to switch to mechanized farming we, we farm like 1800 irishmen that's how nigerians farm to be honest the hoes and our hands yes that's that's how we farm and how, how productive is that how can you meet the the, the demand of 180 million when you literally have to be under the sun from uh you have to be under the uh, the, the skies from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. every single day. How productive can that be? And how possibly be, yeah. You know, I think we, we, we have almost 70% of our arable land untapped. 70%, you know how big agro in America would be if they get access to that, you know? Yep. There's so yep. much potential to meet our demand and even feed, and I'm not, I'm not trying to exaggerate Nigeria, can feed West Africa comfortably. Oh yeah, for the amount of arable land we have. And yes, for the amount of arable land we have. We have two of the greatest rivers, or the most voluminous rivers, mm -hmm. West and Central of Africa. We have the Niger River, West Africa, and we have the Benue River that just comes from Central Africa, uh, the Adama hi Highlands in Cameroon. Mm -hmm. you know? And we don't tap them, we don't tap, we're, we're not tapping it, it's literally, 95% untapped, you know, for instance. So look at the possibilities of not having that access, for instance. We need to switch to a business-minded sort of agriculture. You get what I mean? We, yeah, we, we, yeah. we, we need to have the big guys come yeah. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against the big agro. What I'm against is the fact that precedents will happen yet and again and again. What happened the cement industry will happen again. When there's barely competition, the big guys just come in and monopolize the entire industry. 
So it's going to happen in our agricultural sector. The big agro guys are going to take advantage of this, and there will be no competition. And even the subsistence, the subsistence farmers will find it difficult to sell their produce. We get there will be readily food available in the next maybe ten years, but it will be incredibly expensive, just the same way it is with cement. So we need to go back to the basics, fix the basics, uh, the, the the transportation infrastructure, the storage. We have a very poor silo network. Oh. Our grains spoil after harvest. You know, a lot of our tuber, tuber food uh, um, um, spoils on the road, you know. Uh, our perishables, my God, it's terrible. Yeah, they perish. Yeah, they perish, literally. <laughs> we have had um, tomato uh, scarcity three times in the last three years. Yeah. You know, literally, you go to the market, you, you don't have access to tomato. The only way to be able to make your stew is to... To get the the Italian uh, tomato paste, tomato paste put in sa like yeah, put, yeah, put put in sachet, uh -huh. and, and that's expensive to an extent, you know. So these are the basics that we cannot we cannot get. And then for the other part of of, of the reason the border closure policy came into place was that the, uh, our borders were being uh, penetrated by you know terrorists, transnational criminals, and the rest. Yeah. Well, you close the border, it doesn't really sort that out because, as I said, our borders are unmanned. We have up to a thousand borders, and yeah, up to a thousand four hundred forty-four. I forgot the last number, uh, and literally ninety percent of those borders or border posts are unmanned. You can just get in and go out. So we need to increase and improve the capacity of our immigration officers, as with our customs and excise offices. Right. We need to automate the processes. We literally have to automate the processes. You get in and go out, there's no form of automation, whatever. Come in, where's your ID card? Sign in here and go out. You know, there's no way you can ascertain that the person that's coming in is coming in with his own car. So it's probably he's coming in with a stolen car or something else. You know, there's no security. Uh, there's no automation, whatever, that can actually help us with, with security, you know, for instance. So, these are the things that we are not getting right. And because of that, we're, even if you close the border for 10 years, it's going to be the same old problem. So if we can get these basics right, then we can actually start to say, okay, we're going to get uh, national productivity sparring. We're going to get food prices lowering. We're going to get job creation, you know, up there because the agricultural sector has a, a massive potential to create loads and loads of jobs. The sort of jobs that can take care of a 180 million uh, uh, people, yeah. you, don't get those job, you don't get those jobs from governments. You get those jobs from private sector. And where, in the, in the, uh, where can the private sector actually create those jobs? In our agri-sector, you get, you get what I mean? In, 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 literally in our agri, and in our manufacturing, and manufacturing to an extent depends on agro, you know, because you're literally processing their raw materials and you're using yeah. their raw materials to manufacture every other thing that you want to, you want, you want to get to sell. Yeah. So Most nations once, are the first industry to really build up and then everything else absolutely, follows. Absolutely, everything else follows. For instance, you say you want to go into garment making. Where are you going to get the cheap uh, uh, cotton from? It has to be from the big cotton, plantations you know yep. 
and, and you don't get cotton plantations meeting your, your, your high demand except the agro sector um, is, is, is moving swiftly and we don't have that. We don't have that. So for Nigeria, you're looking at a country that is in the 21st century but behaves like a 19th century feudatory. Yeah. That's, that's Nigeria for, for, for you. And I'm, I'm speaking to non-Nigerian. <laughs> and even the, the, even the Nigerian diaspora who are listening to, to me as well, uh, who really don't get the, the real picture. We, we, are, we are operating like we're in the 1800s. In fact, for me, I think we are still in the 1700s. The way we farm. <laughs> Just go to the farms and look at how we, we farm. How, it's how we ridiculous. Farm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the farmers, you can't blame them. The farmers pride themselves. Yeah. In Benway, for instance, Benway, the, the Benway Fox, uh, Benway State, they're a very uh, big farming state, for instance. They pride themselves in, 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 in the tuba crops, the yams, the cassava. They're so adept at farming that. But there's a potential for a larger production level if they switch from the holes to uh, the, 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 the combined harvesters uh, and the tractors, you know. But there's no potential to switch to mechanized farming because the finances are dire. You know, the structure itself is terrible. And we can influence this from policy. Yep. How well is our policy to, 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 to incentivize this sort of switch from subsistence farming to uh, 21st century mechanized industrial farming? Nothing, absolutely nothing. So that's where you're still going to have situations where farmers still, we have prizes for the biggest or the best yam farmer in Benway State. And what do they give him? A massive hole, you know? This is 2020 when you're supposed to be giving him, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not saying we should be gifting our farmers tractors and the rest, but if you're going to give, yeah, but if you're going to give a gift to the best farmer of the year, it has to be a tractor or a combined investor or yeah, brand new innovation. Well. You know, a brand new innovation in, in, in the, the farming, uh, the farming uh, uh, subsector of big agro, for instance. So these are, these are the things that Nigeria currently faces. And, and if you can get that right, then voila, we would uh, be able to meet the, 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 the government's dreams and aspiration of, of, of ensuring that uh, national productivity across all board is at the highest level. Excellent. Excellent. Well, sir, um, one, I appreciate it. Let's, I think I'd love to break this conversation and then a following conversation about um, Biafra, if you still have the time into two. Uh, yeah, yeah, this, this is enough time. Thankfully, this is the weekend and yes. uh, there's <laughs> barely anything happening. So, yeah. Excellent. So, we might so, as well just... Yeah, so yeah. listeners, uh, listeners, thank you for listening into this episode. And we're definitely going to have also another episode which we're recording shortly about the Biafran Civil War. If you're not familiar, uh, this past week was the uh, anniversary, 50th anniversary of the end of the Biafran War, um, which ended uh, January 15th, 1970. So um, we'll be discussing that subsequently, but thank you for listening in. That's all you want to say bye to this part and then we'll take a break and continue re recording. Okay, okay, okay. Goodbye. Goodbye, guys. Thank you very much.